I'm Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Thanks for joining the Sakara Life podcast today. If our sound sounds a little different than usual, it is because we are recording from home. Our intention with this podcast is to really kind of lift the veil, I guess, and talk about how we created Sakara. The first episode was us talking about the big why behind why we started Sakara and how it's mission driven and how eating this way changed our lives. And now we felt like we wanted to share this episode about how we really kind of fundamentally started the business. We also get a lot of questions about how we built the business more on the entrepreneurial side, but we wanted to share the story about how we built this for reasons beyond just kind of the entrepreneurial story. We wanted to share it because we hope that it's a reminder for anyone out there facing challenges that anything that is worthwhile is worth fighting for. And Whitney and I have faced countless challenges, had countless people tell us we weren't going to make it. And so, you know, whether you are an entrepreneur or you're working for a company you believe in, or even beyond career, whether you're working through a relationship that's hard or you're a parent or a single parent, there are challenges that we face all the time. And our hope is that after hearing this story, you and we are reminded that it's worth the fight if it's really what you want to be doing. So yeah, I think it's great to start telling this story. Where do we want to start, Dee? Back back in... Uh... Should we go back to seventh grade? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should go that far. I think when we think about the first things we did to create Sakara, I would say it was you and I were cooking this way for each other. Mm-hmm. And the next step we made was delivering to one other person. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like it wasn't even like, oh, here's the business name and here's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, there was no name yet for it. It was just us experiencing that transformation and then other people noticing and being like, hey, can you just make me some of that? Whatever whatever you're eating, whatever you're doing, can, I, can you just make me some of that? Yeah, because they saw a difference in us, like yeah. not just physically, but we were also so much happier. So we had finally found the food that worked for us. And so I think one other misconception is that maybe you and I came from money and this was just bankrolled by somebody, (laughs) but 
Yeah, no, it could not be farther from the truth. We were both raised mostly by our mothers. My mom was a single mother. I grew up on food stamps with her. Like there's nothing about, you know, my childhood that was financially privileged. And so when we started the business, I, I was still in college. Putting yourself through school. Putting myself through school. I was studying pre-med. I was working in a hospital. I had like, you were working like a hundred jobs. You've always worked a hundred jobs though. I had the weirdest side jobs. Like I was working at like this baseball center here in New York, (laughs) teaching kids baseball. And I don't know how to play baseball. And I was cocktail waitressing. I was modeling and acting. Like I was just doing everything because I not only had to pay for school, but living in the city is so expensive. So, you know, I think one of the questions we often get is like, when, you know, when did you know, like that this was a business and it was a while before you were like, okay, we're going to stop working and doing these other jobs. Like it was a while because back then, you know, people were like, oh yeah, they only want pizza delivered. Like who wants healthy food delivered? But then I think, you know, so our first client basically was this guy that I was working for. I was his personal assistant. That was like one of my 20 jobs. And he saw me eating it and he was like, oh, could you just make extra for me? And of course he paid us. And so we were like, oh my God, we could get paid to provide this life-changing food for people. Yeah, and then he had such a transformation. Yeah, he had such a transformation that we were like, wow. Yeah, and let's paint the picture a little. So you and I are roommates <clears throat> in Soho in an apartment that was lovely. We had a decent amount of square footage. And by that, I mean like, you know, like 600 square feet. That was like a mansion to us. Yeah. But you know, like the ceiling was caving in, but that was like real life living in New York at that age. We like had a a satellite kitchen. We never knew where we were going to be able to cook out of because we couldn't afford a real kitchen. So we just asked friends. Oh man, that was stressful. But we figured it out. Oh, geez. When I think about all the stress that happened in that first chapter, like, thank God we were in our like twenties. Yeah. I don't, sure. think I, I don't think I could survive it now. No, no like, way. Nope. I'm we passing. Were, we were young. <laughs> we were naive. We had yeah. a ton of energy, ambition. We saw it. And I, and we talk about that. That was one of the things that kept us going was we had this certainty that yeah. I don't, I don't know where it came from, but we both just knew, we knew that, Blind was faith. Somewhere, that the world needed what we had to offer and they needed to hear the message that we had to share. Yeah. And it doesn't even feel like it was us. It just felt like this had to take form and we were the lucky ones that got to help it manifest, but that this was a movement that needed to happen regardless of us or anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so we're broke. We're living in New York City. We're delivering to this guy I'm working for. He feels a change. So then we're like, okay, maybe we could deliver to a couple more people, but we have no money. So we decide to throw a dinner party. Yeah, which at the time I thought sounded like a great idea. You know? Right? Easy money. <laughs> yeah, easy. Throw a dinner party, invite some friends, have a little bit of an organic wine pairing with the food. Great. Yeah. Little did we know that like catering for parties is extremely difficult. We'd only been cooking for like the three of us. 
So we switched our plan. So we invited what? How many friends would you say we invited? Like, and not even just friends. We invited, like, we put the invite. Some we weren't members of Soho House, but so we had some, somebody else post it for us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so there were people that we knew there. There were people that we didn't know. And we charged a flat fee. I don't remember what we charged, but it was like you. Yeah, you'd get an appetizer. I remember the menu was like appetizer, dinner, dessert and organic wine pairings. And we did it in this space in South Street Seaport, which is this really beautiful wine store and they have a back room. But we kind of didn't think it through. And and once we got there, they didn't have like a working oven. (laughs) We were like, okay, well, we're going to serve a raw menu. (laughs) Nothing can be cooked. Yes. I guess the takeaway from the dinner party was... You just have to get really creative, right? (laughs) Yeah, improvise. Yeah, we were always just solving the problem that was right in front of us all the time. And I think that's still how we think about running this business. Like you you have to plan. Yeah, you have to you have to plan for the future, but nobody knows like what could happen. I mean, here we are dealing with a global pandemic, recording this from our homes. Like there's just no way you can predict the future. And so as much as you plan, you always have to like put your, your most attention on solving the problem right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that dinner party was what got us that first, like what, $700. Yeah. After we paid off all of our expenses, right. Like paid for all of the food, et cetera. We had $700 left at the end of the night. So we knew we needed at least like a website, right. So -hmm. that people could find out about us. And a name. And so, to register the business. Right. So we use that money to register the business. We found the name Sakara, um, or really it found us. Mm-hmm. We were just looking for names and this word came up and it just, it like, we had no question. We didn't even go back and forth or I was like, is this it? It's just like, we knew it's a Sanskrit word and it means the physical manifestation of Brahman, which is the light everywhere. And so for us, we felt like eating this way had helped us manifest and bring into physical form bodies that we loved living in. And so our hope was that, you know, using this powerful word, it would help all of our potential clients bring in not just their physical bodies, but also, you know, the lives that they wanted to lead that would help them manifest. All yeah, the really, they wanted really change, transform their thoughts and dreams and ideas and goals into a physical form and a reality. So, we have the seven hundred dollars. We found the name Sakara. We registered our LLC. We built our own website. <laughs> When we started the company, Shopify and Squarespace and all these amazing platforms didn't exist. No. So but our our website was like the brochure. Yeah, it was it just said our name and <laughs> email us and we had some pictures on it. But there was okay. no way to collect any money off the website. Like you couldn't check out. Right. I remember we had to we had about seven email exchanges with clients before collecting their money through our PayPal account. Well, and the way people I think started to hear about us is we got on our bikes because we had made those marketing cards, remember? Mm-hmm. 
And we just started to put them in like all the cafes that we could find. studios and Uh wherever they would take a flyer, we were posting it. Yeah. And we would print them at like Staples. Yep. And we got our, our like first stranger client we got from one of the marketing cards. He was like some big Broadway and television producer. Yeah. And so he was on production site in Greenpoint and we would make the food and then we would get on our bikes and we would deliver it. It was the quaintest thing ever. (laughs) I know it looked so cute with the food in our baskets, delivering as long as we were delivering just to one person. And not in the winter time. Yeah, that that was great. But as soon as it became more people, that's when it started to get really hard. Yeah, it was really hard. And I also remember that you and I, we were like, okay, it's time to get clients. Um, You know, we probably had what, like a handful at that time. Mm -hmm. So we had been collecting business cards for years. Yeah. In a, in really big Ziploc bags. I remember that just like day. anyone we met, we would just put in, drop their card in the bag. Yeah. And I remember that day when we were like, all right, let's get out all the cards. And we pulled out these Ziploc bags and dumped them on our floor in the living room. And we found this girl's card who was a intern at Daily Candy, which if you don't know what Daily Candy was, it R-I-P. was, yeah, it was this online site and like email newsletter list yeah like newsletter list and it would it had really good content Mm -hmm. um and like everyone in New York read it um especially women and we had this card from an intern that worked there so we emailed her I emailed her and I said yeah well you you were like shoot her an email and I'm like no she she doesn't even know me she's not gonna remember I can't do that I'm you know yeah it's gonna be weird and so you grabbed the card and you were like I'll do it and <laughs> so you you know you put up an email and you're like hey girl been a long time <laughs> fake it till you make it yeah and you sent her the email and it was just yeah saying this is what we're up to now we'd love to show it to you um let us know if you're interested and she responded saying this is awesome. I'd love to learn more. Let's set up a meeting. Let's talk about it. And so we went to go meet her at the Daily Candy offices. We brought her some samples. We talked about what we were doing. And she said, great, you know, I'd love to try the program. And so we said, great. And we went back and we, uh, you know, we were still cooking everything ourselves. So we cooked her up a, I think it was just a three-day program at that time that we made her. And then of course, we're also the delivery people. So when it came time to deliver, we both showed up at her door at 8am. I think she was really surprised to see us. You know, she, I think she thought we were a little bit bigger of a company. And then there we are knocking on her door at 8am. But we were like, you know, we we just wanted to make sure it got here perfectly. So we delivered it ourselves. And, (laughs) and we, she she did the program and she loved it and she wrote about it and we had no idea what that meant to get that type of press at that time yeah we thought we didn't even know she was she said she loved it and they were like okay we didn't know when it was going to come out but then I wake up 
a little earlier than you one morning and open. You sent me an, a text message and you're like, oh my God, have you seen the emails? And I was like, oh my gosh, did something happen? Is our kitchen on fire? Did you know somebody get food poisoning or something? Like thinking of all these terrible things that could have happened, but that's not what happened. It what was, happened, Whitney? <laughs> well, you know, open it up and it was just the thousands of emails from people saying, I want to try this. How do yeah. I sign up? Because remember, it was that brochure website, so they couldn't just order. Yeah, that was a big realization moment for me of like, wow, people really want to feel better. People are really looking for a solution, a convenient solution and a solution that actually transforms. Like that was the time when I think juice cleanses were at their peak and people were really sick of starving themselves and, you know, not really nourishing. And so I think her title was the anti-crazy cleanse, right? Right. And so I think that was such an apt title because it's exactly what it was. It's like for the first time, people are like, oh, you can eat and still, you know, quote, yeah. cleanse or detox. And so to see that kind of response was really motivating and inspiring. And I think that was the first moment we were probably six months into this. And that was probably the first moment where I was like, okay, wow. Like there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely demand. But then on the flip side of that coin was like, holy shit, what are we going to do? We can't make thousands of meals in our little kitchen. That was scary. Yeah. And so we told people we were sold out for two weeks because we were, we did not have capacity (laughs) for all of that. And in those two weeks, we decided we'd figure it out. Yeah. Whatever it took, we're going to figure out how to supply that demand. And so we sat there and we just called people and called people and called people until we found a kitchen space and a team. And I mean, delivery people that were just random. Remember that guy? Yeah. Remember that guy that responded to our Craigslist ad for delivery? And he's like, I can do it. I, but I only have a skateboard, not a car. (laughs) I said, Uh, we were so desperate for delivery people. And I said, okay, but you have to show up at our kitchen at 4am. How many bags do you think you can carry on a skateboard? And he's like, 10 and I'll be there at four. And I said, okay, promise you'll be there at four. I need you there at 4am because our delivery zone or delivery times are like six to 8am. And of course he didn't show up that next morning. And so you and I had to get in a taxi and like deliver. After working all night on cooking the meals. Yeah. But it was so stressful to run a kitchen when we had never done it before because there are so many details about sourcing, storing produce, managing an hourly team, keeping people motivated, food safety, making sure, you know, our recipes are really complicated. And so you have to have people that really follow a recipe and not chefs that will just feel like they can improvise. Also being a nutrition program, that's important. And that was a long time that we did that. A long time. That wasn't just like, oh, one week was really scary. No, no, no. That was like probably a good year. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the only reason we were even able to move into our own kitchen was because we were forced to build a business that was profitable. You know, we were forced to build a business where we had clients pay up front and then the week later we would deliver their food. And that's really how 
you know, most businesses through history were built. Um, and I think in this day and age with tech and the VC world, there's a lot of businesses and a lot of people that, that don't even know that that's possible. It's like, first you raise a bunch of money and then you go out and build a business. But I'm so grateful that we have like this scrappy DNA in us that comes from building the business from the ground up with zero money. And I, I think about even future iterations of kitchens and teams that we worked with. You remember that one kitchen that we worked with in Brooklyn where we rented oh, it man. by the hour. And so we had an eight hour shift that we had to get everything done. And we had to cook all of the meals. We had to do all the cleanup. We had to do all the pack out, get you know all the meals into the right bags and ready for delivery in eight hours. And we would come in and it would be like, you know, the gun would go off time and we would just run and pull out all of our equipment and set up everything. And oh my gosh. In the midst of you and I, you know, running inventory and managing the team. And like some days people just wouldn't show up, but we were scared to fire them because we needed them. And so when people wouldn't show up, it would just be you and I. And after Gwyneth Paltrow wrote about us, we had another surge in orders. And so we hired on more people. And, you know, it's not even, so this is like the physical part that was really hard. I mean, where you were working easily 20 hour days, had no idea if this would work, trying to manage money in a way we'd never had to do, like with a CFO brain, you know, worrying about our accounting, worrying about legal, worrying about the website, customer service, all these things. And then on top of that, we were also getting a lot of flack from people around us. Like nobody wants, you know, healthy food delivered. What the hell is Sakura? You know, like we had a lot of people and people that we still, yeah. And like people we care about and and still do, but I think just genuinely were worried about our path Um, and like the probability of us making it. So it wasn't even just the physical work that was really, really difficult and stressful. It was also, we were being, we were faced with so much doubt that I think it was really just you and I that believed in it yeah. for, for like the first few years. Yeah. And that was hard. That was hard. Like, I remember there were days where one of us would say, I, I don't, I don't think we can, like, we can't do this. What are we doing? We're delivering food. Like, what are we, <laughs> you know, like seamless or like, what, what are we doing? And then we'd get a testimonial that was, you know, so profound about us. Like, you remember that testimonial about the guy saying we were the best food doctors he'd ever known. And he had cancer on his nerve sheaths in his body. And so it was really painful and he couldn't move his arms and his legs. And he'd gone all over the world to, try and seek help. And he'd hired private chefs and all these things and none of it worked. And it wasn't until he got our food that he finally started to feel better. Like, how can you stop after you get a testimonial like that? Those client stories and those testimonials, those, those letters that we received that kept us going through all of these really, really hard times. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the other things we we're forced to learn early on is the importance of knowing every part of your business. So we didn't have the opportunity to hire an expert for years. 
And so mm-hmm. what that meant is that you and I had to figure every single thing out from how do you legally start a business? How do you legally serve food? How do you, you know, what's the accounting behind this? Where can we save? You know, how do we create a brand that resonates with people? How do we, you know, write emails so that people understand that we're, you know, we're not selling to them, that we're really, you know, trying to help them transform. Like, how do you, you do all that by just learning the hard way. And, you know, we'd get, we'd get clients emailing us angrily because of, we forgot to put a lunch in there, like, you know, various reasons and having to also learn the hard way that the best way to make a relationship with a client is to just own up to whatever mistakes you did or didn't do. Really care. It really care and just be there for them. And I think learning that firsthand is still the most important thing we ever did. Yeah. Going through all of these different pieces of the business, being the cooks, being the delivery people, being the client service team, being the lawyers, being the accountants. Because I think, I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to legal and accounting and things like that, they think that they need to go to a professional that anytime a contract comes through or anytime a contract needs to be written, that it needs to be done by a lawyer. But really the way that we started doing it was just by, you know, picking up that legal document and reading it instead of just running to a lawyer, we forced ourselves to sit down and read it. And when we didn't understand it, read it again and then read it again and talk Mm -hmm. about it and just keep working through it. Cause we didn't have the money to pay a lawyer at that time. Yeah. And I think it taught us that nobody's going to solve your problems for you. And I think that's in the DNA of our culture now, which is really nice. So we basically have hired, you know, hundreds of entrepreneurs, people that can take responsibility for their work. And if they don't know how to do something to just go figure it out, there's not going to be somebody out there that can, you know, necessarily do it better than you if you just put your mind to it. And you just use this word entrepreneur. Can you explain that what that is for people listening? Yeah. Entrepreneur is somebody that's building a business within a business. So if you think about all the faucets within Saqqara, there are owners of all those faucets and those owners are building basically a micro business within Saqqara. And that takes an entrepreneurial mind, which is why I think you and I speak to this idea often that if you have an entrepreneurial mind, like go work for a company that you really believe in the only answer is not to just go start a company. I don't know if the world, maybe the world needs your company. That could be very possible, but um, it's not the only way. It's not the only way. And there's a lot, I think people forget that if you're in, if you're an independent thinker, you know, if you are a go-getter that working for a company is just as fulfilling, if not more so, because you don't have to go through all this grit. I mean, we spent, (laughs) we spent four years, you know, broke and not sure if we were ever going to make it. And that's incredibly stressful. So if you can use your entrepreneurial mind for a mission that you believe in and might already be out there, I think that's just as profound as starting your own business. Yeah. And I think along the way, at times we let this idea of the way that things are supposed to get done, um, get to us a little bit like, well, you're supposed to have an MBA in order to know how to run a business or you're supposed to be a lawyer or, or whatever it was. And that could impose this feeling of this imposter syndrome 
on us where we were running this business, but we didn't necessarily feel qualified to run this business. And I think just over time of doing it, we built up this confidence and we realized, you know, we, we are qualified to be doing this. And the proof is that the business is running and running well. I would attribute whatever success we may have to one, we have an amazing team now <laughs> that um, are some of those MBA grads, et cetera. Like, I, I don't want to undermine that because, you know, they are incredible. Um, our entire team is incredible. But I also think that at least early on before we had them, what was really important was that we had that blind faith. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when you go through, you know, the the training I'm using air quotes here, the training, uh, that you lose the blind faith because you know all the things that could go wrong, you know how it should go. And I think that we, we, we could, we could have that blind faith because we had no idea all the things that could go wrong. And so we had this kind of incessant hope for the future. Yeah. Because we hadn't learned how hard it is. (laughs) We were learning in real time. Yeah. Oh, the naivete. It was beautiful. I know. It really was. We need to bring that back. (laughs) I think we still have it. I think it's actually been one of the nice functions of hiring people that maybe are more um, experienced or just like trained is that it allows us to keep the creative brain. And, you know, some entrepreneurs, you know, are more focused on just marketing or just finance or tech, et cetera. And I think you and I are really focused on the authenticity, the mission, and making sure we deliver on our promise, Mm -hmm. which I think requires we have like, I think it requires that we have the ability to constantly tap into our creative brain. And stay in a heart space, not just a brain space. Exactly. Yeah. And that I say that, and obviously, you know, we're hoping that maybe this year will be the year that we're finally set up where we get to, you know, be mostly in a heart space. You and I have been in every part of the business for the last 10 years. So Mm -hmm. it's not as if we're just like sitting back, letting teams take care of everything. We're obviously very involved in every part and you and I are trying to be less involved, but I think it's taken us 10 years to even get to a place where we feel like we can start to negotiate that kind of heart space freedom, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So now looking back at this time in our lives and in this time in the business of really starting it up, going from just us on our mission to servicing one individual client to finding ourselves that commercial kitchen and a team and doing every single job in the company, working a hundred hours a day. Um, when you look back on that time in our lives, what are what are some of your big takeaways? What are some of the lessons that you think you learned during that time? Yeah, I think one of the big lessons that I learned, not necessarily now looking back, but I remember learning it in the moment, was that you have to be really bold. Because fear is powerful, and if you let fear take over, there's not a lot of action that happens. 
And when you're trying to create something and birth something, a lot of action has to take place. And so I think you have to do the things that are really uncomfortable, like, you know, emailing the Daily Candy woman and pretending like we're friends, even though she'd never met me. Um, you know, I remember when we met Bobby Flay and I, oh, that was so scary. <laughs> I didn't know who he was, but you did. And you really wanted to talk to him, but you were nervous and, you know, it was easy for me to push you. Cause I don't know, I didn't have to do anything, but I pushed you to go talk to him. Yeah. And, you know, then he joined our board and I, I think like it's in those moments where you say yes, and you push past the fear that mm-hmm. really incredible things happen. Yeah. And I think that that fear is ego, right? Mm-hmm. My ego wanted to tell me, what are you doing? Are you crazy? He's a celebrity chef. Um, you're nobody. Like, why would he want to talk to you? You're going to make a fool out of yourself. Don't even bother. And I had to put my ego down and push it aside and to go and, and speak to him. And I think that was part of that energetic exchange where then we received something great in return, mm-hmm. like really, you know, getting over that fear, which is hard to do. I think I learned yeah. a lot of that boldness from you. I know that one of the, the kind of mottos that we picked up along the way that kept us going was there are no rules mm-hmm. that every time we got into a, a place where we're saying, you know, what are we supposed to be doing next? We just remembered there is no right way to be doing this. There are no rules for this. We just have to make it up as we go and figure it out. Yeah. And it was really nice to have each other during that time. It definitely made me more fearless to have you by my side. Cause it felt like if we failed, we still had, I still had my best friend and we'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as scary as I think it would have been if I had been doing it alone. And especially because you and I would hit my wall of, of doubt, you would always be there to remind us of our mission and why it matters. And vice versa. So we get this question a lot of, you know, how did you guys do it together? Like, do you recommend people starting businesses with their best friend? And also and, people ask us, how, how do you divide? You know, yeah. is, divide and conquer. Of, do you ever fight? <laughs> is one of you business and the other is marketing or yeah, one of you, the chefs. And I think we've done things in a very non-traditional way, mm-hmm. but it's been great for us where we both have done everything. We, yeah. we both learned the finance. We both learned the nutrition. We both learned the customer service and the accounting and all of it. Yeah. And also I think the superpower is in us combined in my mind, you know, we have very different strengths. I think we both bring a lot of heart to it because we care about this so much, but you know, our strengths are very different. And when I think about myself doing a launch, for example, like a product launch, if I didn't have you to refer to and get your thoughts and get your input, it wouldn't feel whole and complete. And so I think the the superpower is having this kind of backboard, being this backboard for each other that I think helps us create really profound things. Yeah. We're better creators together. Yeah. And I'd say that 
I don't, I, I would say that for many people, maybe starting a business with somebody isn't right. I'd say what, unless you have this foundation of trust that you and I have, I think it's so important. You know, we've known each other since we were little and I trust that you're looking out for me as a person before the business. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that is a huge component of being successful because if you ever doubt that, then you don't feel like you're aligned. So like, I feel because you're looking out for me as a human, then the work part and the career part can be really fun. And occasionally we can disagree and it's fine because we always trust that, you know, we're looking out for each other first and foremost. Right. That we have that friendship and that care and that trust and that respect first. Yeah. And I think within that trust kind of matrix is you've brought this up a few times, Whitney, but is releasing the ego. So occasionally you'll have a really strong opinion about something I will disagree. Maybe we go back and forth a little bit, but I can tell if it really means something to you. Like I, I throw in the towel and I'm like, okay, you go your way and vice versa. You do that for me too. Mm -hmm. And it's putting my ego aside and saying, okay, I don't need to be the one that makes this call. Like I trust you to make that call. And I think that's really important. So it has to be a dual vision of where things can go. It can't be like, no, we have to do it my way. Right. Be, being willing to compromise. Yeah. Because I trust relationship, you. Right. Totally. Because I trust you. And also, by the way, if you're wrong, we're never like, yeah, see, I told like, it's never, <laughs> it's like, okay, good yeah. for you. We tried it your way. And I think we learned a lot of lessons. Yeah. Yeah. That growth mindset has been huge for us. I'd say also. Yeah that every time we have failed, because there have been moments, you know, people ask us, when have you failed? And it's hard for us to come up with stories or ideas. all the time. Like, I don't but, even know. But we don't think <laughs> about them as failures. We just keep going. We totally. say, okay, we learned. What are we going to do differently next time? All right, let's just keep going. Totally. I mean, we've made hiring failures. We've launched products that didn't make it. We've I don't know, sent emails that piss people off. We like, we've done so many things that have, I think, met some, yeah, right. quote failures, but we just learn and keep going. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's, that's the future for Sakara, right? Is we see the future for Sakara. We have a really big vision of, of where Sakara still has to go and has to grow. We're just still at the beginning. Of, of building this big vision for what Sakara can be and helping Sakara manifest itself into being. Um, and so I think that, you know, all of these lessons that we've learned along the way are going to help us to get there, to just keep going, right? Keep marching into the future. Yeah. And keep making it about our clients first and foremost and not ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's another big thing I think about as a takeaway is if we didn't feel like we were on a mission, we would have never made it. You know, it, I think it's so important no matter what you decide to do, whether you decide to start a business, work for a business, stay home with your children, that you're so clear on what your mission is and that you feel moved to act on that mission. And this is where I think the difference between mission and passion is really important. And oftentimes when you and I are on panels, people will say, 
you know, oh, I just haven't found my passion, but I think I kind of like this. And I'm like, oh, that's not a recipe for a career move. Because if you're just looking for something you enjoy doing, I, I, I would call that a hobby. I wouldn't call that something that's going to wake you up every day and keep you motivated to show up and face, you know, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And so finding your mission, and I think your mission is usually born out of the things that you don't want to talk about, the things that are dark for you, the things that are hard for you. You know, I never thought I'd be talking about body image issues to millions of people. I never thought I'd be talking about, you know, my issues around food. But once I faced it, it gave me the, and and then worked on it, it gave me the confidence and I think the right to um, start a business that helps people with their relationship to food. And it wakes me up every day and I'm so excited to do it, even Mm -hmm. when it's really hard. Yeah, because even the most fun passions eventually turn into a job. And so you have to have something that drives you, that motivates you, that makes you feel like there's a purpose behind it all. Yeah. And I, I never feel like this is about me. Like none of this is about my success. Mm -hmm. You and I never really talked about like our success and that we wanted to be, you know, cover magazine entrepreneur, like that was never, the mission was always so clear and that was to help others. And Mm -hmm. I think what the mission allows is it allows it to not be about you, which is so refreshing. Yeah. And it allowed us to put a stake in the ground where we decided from the very beginning what our business was going to be about, that it was going to be about helping people to transform their lives, to feel that bit of transformation that we each felt through living the Sakara life. And so I think a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, they can get lost along the way. Like, what are we doing? Where are we going? And just try to create products for creation's sake or, or because a client asks for something and they lose their way. And I, I feel like we've, we've both felt very lucky that we have this, North Star that is our mission, that is the company purpose that guides us every day. Yeah, for sure. I I know I said this at the beginning, but I feel like it's worth reiterating that I guess my hope for anyone listening is that they feel inspired to do things that maybe are scary, but in the name of giving your gift. Like I do feel like this is us giving our gift and everyone on the planet deserves to feel like they are also giving their gift, but to also maybe think about how that can manifest. Like it certainly doesn't only mean starting a business. It can mean so many things. You know, I know a lot of people on our team feel like they're living their mission by working here and, you know, we wouldn't be here without our team. And so it's just so important that people feel aligned with with their work and like they're, they're on their mission. And that, by the way, that means it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not not the easiest. (laughs) Not the easiest. Being on the path does not mean the path is an easy path or a clear path or a straight path. Right. I think if anything, when you're presented with your path, you're tested. Like, are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure this is what? And 
we were still tested like that, but now we just have, after 10 years, we're like, we have no doubt that we're, that this is what we want. So it makes it easier in some respects, but it's still challenging. Yeah. And everybody's path looks different that people out there are not going to have the same path as ours. It's not going to look the same way. And I think that that was part of the reason why we wanted to share this podcast today was, you know, looking from the outside, it may look like we've had a straight, clean, easy path to get to where we are today. Um, But to share some of the bumps along the way that we've faced and some of the lessons that we learned that helped us get through those bumps along the road to get to where we are today. Yeah. And I think if you don't feel like you know your mission, I think the most important thing to do is to have gratitude for whatever you are doing and to do it the best way that you can. Okay. So now it's time for us to give our Sakara Light listeners their light work. And we've been talking a lot today about how you have to go through the hard stuff in order to achieve the success, the the goal, whatever it is that you're looking for on the other side. Um, And there's an old proverb or story or saying about how no mud, no lotus, that these lotus flowers, they grow out of the middle of the swamp, out of the dirtiest, grossest waters, out of the mud. But without that mud, there wouldn't be that beautiful lotus flower. So our challenge for you this week is to look for the gratitude, to remember that lotus flower is ahead and to look for the gratitude. So if there are any moments that you start to feel down, angry, frustrated, some despair to find your lotus, look for the things that that you're grateful for that signal that you are on your path, that there's always some form of silver lining. And if we can see those moments, that we'll start to train our brain to recognize them more and more. And it'll give us the confidence that we're all on our path. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights.